Well, hello, Living Hope. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm the Family Life Pastor here. And for the past six weeks, we've been going through the series, Why We Believe. Um, and pastors have come up here and have given a, almost a little defense uh, of the, the Christian faith, uh, why we believe, some of the objections to why we believe. And they've been doing a great job. And I have the privilege of kind of finishing up this series and talking about the cross, the core of our faith. And so I hope that you can come uh, and join me as we kind of survey the, the Bible and see that the main, the core of our faith, of our story, is the cross. You know, but before I go on, um, you know, one of the consequences of this coronavirus stay home um, is our, our youth, and especially those who are graduating. And I feel really bad for them that they can't experience their graduation, the celebration of all their work that they did in high school or in middle school. I know my son, who's in eighth grade going to ninth grade, he's going to be missing that too. And um, I just feel bad that they'll be missing on all the memories. And as I was thinking about that, um, you know, I was thinking about my last graduation. It's been a while, so I'm not going to tell you exactly when that was. But my last graduation, it was memorable, even though it was a while back, and I still remember something about it. It was my uh, Westminster uh, Theological Seminary graduation, uh, where I got my Master of Divinity. And, and I remember certain things, uh, but I don't remember, I know it just feels bad, uh, it doesn't feel right, but I don't remember who spoke. <laughs> I don't remember the graduation message. Uh, I remember the people that were there. I remember that it was hot because it was outdoor. But the thing that I remember the most was um, the tradition that Westminster had. Uh, you know, after um, we got our diplomas, normally that would be the end of the ceremony. But what, what we did was we actually sat back down and one of our professors came up to the stage and said, now we're gonna sing a hymn. And what, I, what, what he said was, to, to the graduates was, that Westminster has a tradition of singing this particular hymn because a Professor Machen, who was the founder of Westminster, um, that was his favorite hymn, and he wanted it to be sung at every single graduation. And that hymn that we sang at the very end of our graduation ceremony was um, the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And let me read some of the uh, lyrics of the the words to that hymn. And yes, I'm going to read it. I'm not going to sing it. Right? Uh, I'll leave that to the, the, the praise team. But it says, when I, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my riches gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. There ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown. With a whole realm of nature mine, that were present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demand my soul, my life, my all. And we sang that hymn. And it wasn't just a tradition, it wasn't just a favorite hymn of uh, the founding um, pastor or uh, professor, but it was a reminder to all these graduates. Because all the graduates there sitting, their future was in the pastoral ministry or teaching in a seminary 
And the song reminded all of us that we need to constantly survey this wondrous cross. Not just for information, but to go to the cross and to find blessing, to find peace there. That all the stuff that we learned in seminary, yes, those were really you know, great things that we learned. But when we get out there and do ministry, when we get out there and minister to the people and we become shepherds, that we need to cling on to this wondrous cross. And today, what I would like for us to kind of go through is, why is this cross so wondrous? Why is this cross of Christ the central symbol of our faith? But not only that, but the central doctrine of our faith. Why do we believe it is because of the cross of Christ? For you see, it was the central, it was central in the mind of Jesus. Even in the Old Testament, it was prophesied in Isaiah that he, uh, Messiah would come and live and die. So even from his childhood, I'm sure that Jesus knew that that's why he came. He came to live on this earth, to die on the cross to atone for our sins. And he mentioned it throughout the Gospels. Let me share a a few verses to to show that it was central in the mind of Christ. Luke chapter 9, verse 22 says this. It says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised and to be killed. He's the one that says this. It says in John chapter 6, verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone hears, oh, I'm sorry, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will get for the life of the world is my flesh. Saying it is the, the meal, the, the, the body is going to be broken. John 3, John 3 14 says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, meaning that he had to to die on that cross. That whoever or whatsoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let me give you another verse. John chapter 12, verse 27. Now it is my soul trouble. Now is my soul trouble. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And this is the Garden of Gethsemane when he was praying. But for for this purpose, I have come to this hour. It was in the mind of Jesus that he has come onto this earth to die. It was in the mind of the apostles, the disciples, the followers of Jesus, Look at the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. He says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him, and this is love. Not that we have love, but God, but God, I'm sorry, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son 
to be the appropriation of our sins, to take upon the wrath of God. Romans 5, chapter 8 and 9 says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and saved us from the wrath of God. That's Romans chapter 5, 8 through 9. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, 25 through 26. Christ did not offer himself repeatedly as a high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. One more verse. And um, this apostle Paul said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 and 2. And you have to realize who the apostle Paul is. Apostle Paul is... Yes, he wrote many of the books, but he was a theologian. He was, he was a scholar. He knew the Old Testament in and out. Um, and this is what he said. He says, and brethren, I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, he, you know, he didn't come with excellence of speech, but the thing that he wanted to come was he wanted to preach Christ and him crucified. And in another portion in Galatians chapter 6, 14, he says, I'm only going to boast in the cross of Christ. These followers of Jesus, the immediate followers of Jesus, these disciples, these apostles, these writers of the New Testament, said that the main point, the main reason why Jesus Christ has come is to sacrifice himself on that cross. So it's not only in the mind of Jesus, but it was also in the mind of the apostles. But it, also, it should be also in our minds that the cross is central to our faith. And Jesus made sure that we understood this when he instituted the Lord's Supper. You know, there's only a couple of things that Jesus said, continue to do this. Continue this ritual again and again. It was baptism and it was a Lord's Supper, communion. As he passed out the bread and, and the wine, he says, this is my body broken for you. And this is the blood that it shed, pointing to that cross, pointing to his sacrifice. He told the disciples there and he tells us, do this in remembrance of me. Have the cross, have the blood of Jesus Christ always ever present before you in this life. So it was in the mind of Christ. It was in the mind of the immediate followers. And Jesus made sure that it was in our minds that the cross is central. But why is the cross so central? What is at the heart of the cross that makes us Say, if we know this, then we know who Christ is, we know what our life should be. Well, the cross answers this simple question. And the simple question, this vital question is this. How can someone like me, someone who disobeys, someone who bells God, 
someone who is not perfect. How can someone like me, a sinner, have a relationship with a holy God, with a perfect God, full of majesty, full of glory? How can we have a connection? How can I worship him? How can I call him father? How can he call me a child of him? And that's the question that actually the Bible tries to answer throughout Old Testament and New Testament to the cross. How can sinful man have a relationship with a holy God? Because Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and false heard of the glory of God. That's all of us. And Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. The consequences of us being sinners is death. It's punishment. So how can we have that relationship with God? Well, the cross answers that question. But before we go to the cross, let's go back in history. Let's go all the way back to Adam and Eve. You know, Adam and Eve lived in paradise in perfection. And as we all know the story, uh, Satan tempted, deceived them and tempted them, and they ate from the fruit of the tree of, of knowledge of good and evil. They ate, they disobeyed God, as soon as they disobeyed God, they knew that something was wrong. They saw each other, and they were naked, and they were ashamed, so they hid. And the, the Bible says that they were, they were actually afraid of God. Now, you have to put this in the context of before this event, Adam and Eve walked with God. They had fellowship with God. And now, they were afraid of him because they sinned or they disobeyed. God comes in. And issues, where are you? And they have a conversation, and he puts um, uh, these curses, sprinkled with little blessings, uh, to the serpent, to the man, and to the woman. And they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden, and they live outside of that garden. But right before they get kicked out, there's a small little verse. Um, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, which sheds light into actually the cross. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 21. It says, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. I know it seems just, you know, they were naked, and so God provided them clothes. Uh, it's a sign of grace. It shows how God is still, in one sense, kind of loving on them uh, and, and not just punishing them. Yes, that may be true, but I think there's something a little bit more other than that, see, I think this is actually the first mention of death and sacrifice. In order for Adam and Eve to cover their shame, to cover their guilt, because they were afraid, they were ashamed when they were naked, God provided garments of skin. They were trying to hide, it, hide themselves with, 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 with brush and leaves, but that wasn't uh, good enough. So what God did was he provided them a garment of skin, which maybe we can conclude that he killed an animal, that God killed an animal so that Adam and Eve could be covered. Go on, moving on to Noah. You know, Noah was saved in that ark and everyone else outside died in that horrific flood. And after many days in that ark, Noah finally came out, the water receded, and Noah came out. 
And when he came out, the first thing that he did, we see in Genesis chapter 8, verse 20, was this. It says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord. This is after he came out of the ark. It says he built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, Noah has a relationship with God. That's why he was saving that ark. And as he's coming out, the first thing that he does is that he goes ahead and kills an animal and sacrifices it to God. Saying basically this to God, saying, Noah saying basically, I am a, still a sinner. I am not perfect. And therefore, I still need to sacrifice an animal in order for me to still have a relationship with God. Moving on to Abraham. You know, Abraham, our great father of our faith. You know, there are many things, but God makes a covenant or a treaty with Abraham, almost like a contract saying, you know, if you do this, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll be your God and I will, I will support you and I will, I will let you be a blessing to, to all the nations. And as he's finalizing that, that covenant, there's a ritual and what God tells Abraham to do is, he says, go and find some animals and kill them and cut them in half and separate them so there is a path. So in order for Abraham to continue the relationship with God, he had to do, he had to do this. He had to cut the animal, sacrifice an animal, and split it across a path. And then Moses, we come to Moses, and his his, our understanding of sacrifice and blood becomes more clear as we uh, talk or as we think about Moses. You know, as Moses led them out of Egypt, went to Mount Sinai, there was a lot of instructions that God gave. And one of those, the huge instruction was a sacrificial system. God placed a sacrificial system on the Israelites during the wilderness and, and so forth and went to the land of Canaan. And, and basically what it was was the major proponent of, of the sacrificial system was each family or individual would have to come uh, to the tabernacle or temple and bring an animal, and an animal will be killed. And the reason for that was the animal will be killed for the sins of the individual bringing the animal. What the, high, what the priest would do is he would touch the animal, and then he would touch the person bringing the animal, symbolizing this. It says, you are a sinner. You are imperfect. God is holy. And the wages of sin is death. But you are not going to die. You have brought a sacrifice, a substitute, so that you will not face the punishment of sin, but this animal will. So the hands was placed so that you will become this. The punishment will become on the animal. So that now things are becoming clear that we sinners, if we want to continue in our relationship with God, because God is so holy, that, there, that and the punishment of sin has to be done to fulfill God's justice because he is so holy that there has to be a substitute. 
And the book of Hebrews tells us this. The book of Hebrews says, Christ is that ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate substitute that will take our place for the punishment of our sins. And so cross tells us how bad sin is, how our little white lies, how our little, quote, mistakes. It's not just something that God could just dismiss, no. Somebody has to pay for that sin. True forgiveness, true forgiveness is not, <coughs> is not cannot just be dismissed, but there has to be some kind of a payment. As if, if, if somebody came into my house and, and, and broke my window, and if I truly forgave that person, I wouldn't expect that person to work and to pay me back. No, I would say, if you are forgiven. Meaning that I will pay the penalty for that person's sin, and I will pay for the window to be fixed. And I will not count it against that particular person. And that's what Jesus did. He paid for the penalty of our own sin. And so on the cross, we see the seriousness of our problem, sin. And that there's no way that we can come into a relationship with God with our sin ever before us. But the cross tells us something even greater, and that is the love of God. The fact that God would choose, that Jesus would choose to be that substitute for us. And we can see this when we go back. Let's go back to Adam and Eve again. Remember Adam and Eve sinned, and there were curses. But in that curses, there were sprinklings, a blessing. Genesis chapter 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Yes, he will come and be victorious, the seed of the woman, which is Jesus. But yet, he will also be bruised in his heel. There is suffering involved in Jesus' victory. Look at Noah. The sign of the covenant was a rainbow, but in that verse, it just says bow. And that same word is the same word that's used as an arrow and bow, a warrior's weapon. And you notice that the bow is not a U, but it's like this. And if there was an arrow that was shot, it wouldn't go straight down to man, but it would go straight up to God. Look at Abraham. You know, when those animals were cut in half, in the traditional treaty, the, the, the two people that were part of that treaty would walk through those two cut animals, and their symbolism was, hey, if one of us breaks this covenant, this treaty, may we be cut like these animals. But in Abraham's story, Abraham does not walk through those animals. God himself walks through the animals and saying, if one of us breaks this covenant, may, may God be, be cut in half. You see, even Moses, God instructed Moses and his people to make this sacrificial system, knowing that this whole sacrificial system was pointing to Christ. You see, 
even bigger than the justice being appeased or fight, it's more that the love of God is shown on the cross. See, the, the cross shows the seriousness of our sin, of our problem. But at the same time, it shows the immense, immeasurable love of God that he would come and bear our sin. He would take upon our wrath, the, the wrath of God, that he would die the death that we should have died. That is the love of God that is displayed. So you see, when we think about the cross, it is not something just to be studied. It is not just a doctrine. That's where our life begins. That's where we see the love of God. That's where we fall on our knees, not only for, the, for his majesty and holiness, but because he saved us on that cross. He forgave us of our sins. And that is the core of our faith. You know, as you're listening to this, you know, we took a quick survey. And as, as it was reminded of my graduation at Westminster, that we need to continue to take this survey and glory in it. For those who are believers listening in and watching, what does this mean? There's a list of things that it means, a new life, new identity. But I, I think that the hymn that I recited earlier really tells us what, what, what we should do in light of what Christ has done. When I survey the cross, let me go ahead and read that last part again. It says, were the whole realm of nature mine that were a present far too small, and here is a love so amazing, so divine, and here is your, our part, demands my soul my life, my all. Jesus came and gave his life for us. Would it not be appropriate for those who believe in his name, who trust in him, that we would give our soul, our life, and our all? You know, those for, those, that's for the believer. But how about for those who are not believers. And I'm going to include, uh, not that you're not a believer, but I'm going to include those who are struggling uh, with, with doubt, um, struggling with your faith, um, whether it's a particular situation that we're going through right now or just, just in general you're struggling with faith. Let me give you a, a message of hope. Okay, What should you do with this cross of Christ? Well, what about this? What about a clean slate? What about all the sins that you've done that make you maybe feel unworthy to be with God? How about that being cleansed away? How about a fresh start with the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior? When you look at the cross of Christ, you look at a new identity. You look at hope, peace in your heart. That is offered to you on that cross. So I do hope that you consider the message of the cross. 
and you consider what it could mean for you in your life. You know, um, today is Memorial Day, and, and I know um, this, is, this time is supposed to be a time of, you know, gathering together and going to the beach and having fellowship. And I know a lot of it has been dampered by the, the coronavirus, and, and um, I know that people are, are struggling, um, that people are, are, are facing trials. Um, let the message of the cross uh, be the hope. You know, the, one, the only thing that can compare our situation right now and what we're going through as a nation um, is 9-11. For, for some of you, uh, that's something that you read in a history book. But if you're, you know, like my age, maybe a little younger than me, um, it's something that we experience. Um, and, and it's something that changed how we lived uh, after 9-11. There were, there were things that we did differently. Um, and, and during that whole time, um, you know, I was, I was on TV watching the towers fall. Um, and I was calling a couple of friends saying, hey, you know, that lived in New York, you know, are you okay? Um, and after the, 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 um, the, the event, there's a lot of stories that came up, but one story kind of stuck out. Um, and the story of John, um, he was a firefighter uh, who were the ones that ran into the, the building. Um, and he barely escaped with his life. He was in the lobby while the, the towers, of, one of the towers is coming down and he had to run out of there. And he, he basically kind of, kind of a lot of stuff kind of told him, but he basically kind of made it out and he survived. And he was part of the crew that was helping to find, you know, people and, and do the rubbles. And this is his story. He's a believer. And this is a story that, um, yes, he says this in, in an article that, that he wrote or that was written about him. It says, then in the midst of America's darkest hours and in the midst of the enormous devastation, John says he believes hope was revealed. Four steel girders, crosses laid upright in the middle of Building 6. And if you see a picture of it, in the midst of the rubble, there's this beam uh, that's straight up and another beam that's straight. So there was a cross. Uh, and it says, all the workers in the immediate area, both believers and non-believers stopped what they were doing and bowed their heads and prayed. And John says, the message is clear, and these are his words. When you find the cross, there's power in the message that it brings. The cavern became a place of worship for weary rescue workers. John believes it was as if God was saying, I am with you, I am here, come find peace. In the midst of the things that are, are happening now, I would encourage you, whether you're a believer or not, come to the cross, survey it, and it's a way of God saying, I am with you, I am here, come and find peace. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for the cross. Um, we sing about it, Lord. We, we hear it in sermons. We read it in the Bible, Lord. Because it's the core of our faith. Without the cross, without your substitutory atonement, we are hopeless. The only thing waiting for us without the cross is damnation, alienation from you. Lord, but Lord, you decided. You initiated. You came down. You lived 
to die on that cross for our sins. You pay our penalty for our sins. You died the death that we should have died, Lord. And you gave us your righteousness. Lord, that is the message of the cross that demands our soul, our life, our all. Lord, may we come to the cross. Why do we believe? It's because of what you did, what you did on that cross. And as we come there, may we find peace, may we find joy, and may we find the assurance saying that even in the midst of this time, that you are with us and you love us. We thank you, Lord, pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.